truth of the matter was, stories was everything, and everything was stories. Everybody told stories. It was a way of saying who they were in the world. It was their understanding of themselves. I came eight years ago after discovering ayahuasca and starting working with Mother Ayahuasca. So I drank ayahuasca 15 years ago for the first time. And it was an amazing experience. It opened like a path. It opened like a window. Finally I see, oh, this could help me really change my life. And it did. It changed it dramatically. I started drinking ayahuasca more often to a point that then I say what I really would like to do with my life is to share this medicine. I was feeling that I was really able to hold the space and share this medicine and it became my life and now, now it is. My name is Diego Palma. We are now at the Circuit Valley in Cusco, Peru, very close to Machu Picchu, surrounded by amazing mountains. If you ask people that come here, there is a, some of them come to tears when they arrived, just looking at the mountains and at the plants and the vibe that is around. A shaman is a medicine man. The shamanism is everything to do with this planet, with the spirit of this planet, with the spirit of water, fire, air, uh, mothers, all that things. You see many people in, in the planet now is uh, searching for uh, spirituality and back to the Mother Earth, uh, shamanism, many other things. Before you don't see that. Now the people are looking for that. Why? Because it's time of the light. It's time of the, uh, the people wake up about all the dimensions, all the things, because this life is uh, very short. Uh, my name is Kush. I am a... Uh, um, a shaman, so I am a spiritual uh, person too. When you drink ayahuasca, you go very far. Go in the other dimensions. You see yourself how you are. I do ayahuasca ceremonies on a regular basis every Friday with all the responsible seekers that come across. Normally we have like a 30 to 100 people coming every, every week you know, from all around the world. And it's a pleasure, huge pleasure to share this medicine and to see in one night you know, a whole transformation. Ayahuasca is a brew that is made of two plants. One is the vine of ayahuasca, it's a vine, and the other one is the leaves of a, a bush that called, is called chacruna the DMT, that is the substance that goes of the expanded awareness state, comes from the chakruna. It doesn't come from the ayahuasca. It comes from the bush of the leaves of this plant called chakruna. But when you drink any amount of DMT orally, you have some enzymes in your stomach called MEO enzymes that will destroy the DMT, oxidate it. So in the ayahuasca, there is another component called harmina and other alkaloids that are MEO inhibitors. In that way, the DMT can reach your blood and your brain you know, and make the whole transformation. 
Normally, ayahuasca is prepared with uh, 12, 11 or 12 hours uh, boiling. Very good medicine. And uh, for example, in here, the, the shamans don't use marijuana, don't use uh, uh, mushrooms, don't use that because uh, it's not from this, this place. When you ask the people in the, in the Amazon, how do they know how to put these two plants together? They say, oh, the spirits of the plants told us. So they have this connection constantly. When you ask this question, who find the fire? <laughs> it's, it's difficult because that is for thousands of thousands of years. All the Amazonians, uh, shamans use ayahuasca. They all know ayahuasca. So ayahuasca, you cannot track it back no, when it was discovered. It was discovered simultaneously in different tribes all around the Amazon basin with different names. And it's, all of them are Chacruna and ayahuasca. My first experience about 16 or 17 years ago, that is a long time because I am now, I am now 58. <laughs> I'm looking for something different of the normal, for say normal life, because I saw my, my fathers, uh, my, my, uh, my, all my family, you know, to have normal life. I was living in Lima, working like an IT in a big com company with hundreds of other employees in a little cubiculum with my computer and married in a really dysfunctional marriage, blaming each other, hurting each other. But for me, that's boring. I said, I need to have other things in this planet. I was very frustrated. My life was, I was really unhappy about the system of just working, working, working in competition with a lot of fear of losing my job feeling all these sensations of this is, this is life, working a lot just for one week of vacations to go to Cancun to drink like an idiot in a all-inclusive and return back to work. And that was my work, my life. And I was feeling that it could, it could not be like this. Something has to change. And for that, I'm looking for teachers. I'm looking for a different way of life. Already in that time, my spirit... Uh, tell me things. I dream things. I, I have paranormal uh, things too, you know. Just by curiosity, I heard about ayahuasca. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I want to try anything that will change my life. Even I can drink poison. It's going to change my life in a good way. In my life, I find many teachers. Uh, in Peru, I've been in the Amazonas. After that, I go to India, Nepal, Europe, many, many places to, to looking for searching many other things, you know? I was looking for a shaman in the jungle. But things happened that I, I met a couple of shamans, but Actually, I will not share a beer with them in a bar, you know? So how can I share something that is so crucial, so transforming, you know? Like stepping into the, the unknown with a expanded state of awareness with someone that you didn't don't have that trust. And uh, later back to Peru, I go very in the shamanism and the spirituality. 
uh, way, what I like a lot. <laughs> so I keep I keep looking, and I was very lucky. I find a good shaman that was living in Lima, and his approach, but was a, a little different than from the approach from the jungle. After drinking ayahuasca, he was playing the sitar and many mantras. So I approached the expanded state of awareness from another perspective than the jungle perspective. The nice things were uh, what I saw in that time, the ayahuasca, is I see myself. I see myself how I am, with my good things and with my bad things. In that moment, I said, my God, I am that way. I need to change. But my process was of questioning what is real about who we are. And we can see that it's a, it's a thing of deconstructing. It's not adding. It's subtracting who you are. What remains after you take out all the labels is what you are. You are present. You're now. You're here. Ayahuasca ceremony is uh, normally is in the, in the night. The opening wheel kind of connected to to a kind of ask, asking permission to Mother Earth to hold the space for us, to help us, uh, to bring them on, us all together. It's like a ritual part of the opening. And there's also a closing after of gratitude, of giving thanks. That's the only part that I can say that is ritual in a way. So they come with an empty stomach, no alcohol, no sex before. Come with all your energy, come whole with all your energy. We drink, we turn off the lights, and after that there's nothing you need to do. There's no more you need to do. And that's the difficult part, because we want to control. Now, what, what I'm going to do? You do nothing, just be with your breath. You already came, when you come to the ceremony, you already have an intention inside. Normally, the first uh, sensation of ayahuasca is you won't throw up. And that is very necessary because when you throw up, go the blocks, the sentiment. Many things what you have inside what block you, you know, go away in the in the trough. That is the false medicine. And many people are afraid about this process of oh, I don't want to vomit, I don't, I don't like it. And obviously, so anyone, anyone like to throw up. The medicine is not doing any harm at all to your system. That is uh, uh, much better to surrender. Everything is amplified. You see many things, nice things and no nice things. Purging the negativity in between your mind, your thoughts, your relationship with others. The more you struggle, the more you push the experience away. Okay, you're pushing yourself into a little nightmare that at the end is going to help you. Afterwards, when you understand what happened to you.
For me, it's important, the silence. It really gives you the opportunity to really go deep inside and feel at the same time that everybody's holding the space with you. Let it go, let it go, and trust. Light and darkness is inside of you. Just feel what you want to, to hold within. What I tell them is to really focus on their breath and relax and surrender. There are many things happening. No? So everyone has different, like, different abilities and perspectives. Some people are very visual. They see like a whole universe no, of visuals and they're amazed about that. Many people, it's not so nice. Sometimes you have more bad experience because you're having a, a panic, you know. When you resist, I want to go, I want to go from these things. Wow, my God, what's that? That is what he means. That is what he looking when, when doing Kayawans. There are different tools to bring different kind of healing and manifestations into the ceremony. I think songs are crucial, actually, in the ceremony. Shamans are beginning to sing. And that singing or chanting uh, attracts the spirit. The music is very important because it transports you out of the dimension. I, I, I go close to him and singing, and uh, I give my, uh, give my hand, or oh, oh, with uh, tobacco, I put a little bit of tobacco and singing, and that goes. The medicine songs are like uh, pointing all the time for, to different truths that are there. No? So it helps you to not be distracted and go away to, to a mind trip, no? but remain focused, remain focused all the time in a state of presence. And it gives you confidence. That is, that is uh, the effect of ayahuasca, connected with other world, connected with uh, your mind, connected with uh, dimension, because in this planet has many other dimensions. The spirit always wants to communicate with us. Your spirit, other spirit want to help. There are some beliefs, limiting beliefs that do not belong to you. These kinds of programming gets in, stuck in, and it's difficult to get them out. With ayahuasca, you can really start like peeling these layers out, looking what are you holding to be truth and, and seeing that it is completely false? In this peeling of layers is what brings the happiness. That after the ceremony you can see like a huge smile in people. The plant ayahuasca, the name is uh, the plant of dying. I call it different because dying no exist. Nothing is dying. Nothing disappears. Your body don't die. And the ayahuasca helped because uh, you saw other things. Because in normal life, what you do in normal life? You uh, go to school and uh, working, uh, have a woman and uh, have children and dying. That is all? Oh my God. That is, <laughs> that's just one part of the existence. We could have lots of things. We want to name it God or the cosmos. Of, I mean, there are just names, no? but this, this thing that you feel that you belong to, that you're one with. No? 
that is part of the of the ceremony. That's part of the bliss of holding the space in ceremony. You know, it's so so beautiful. In a way, it's like a understand that we are all that is. So we are not only the light and not the darkness. It's all within. All within us. All the universe within us. Uh, for me, open the door. But normally, I, I use ayahuasca, but I have other things too. I have meditation, I have uh, many other exercises for developing my mind. But ayahuasca is uh, I mean, helping to me, but the other things help me too. It's not the only one. Now, there are, we have some churches in Brazil, no? the Santo Daime, all around the world actually now, no? And many conferences and people talking about, hey, this plan is really helping humanity. You know, come on, let's be, let's come serious, let's face it. And I hope that eventually it's going to be legal in all, all the world, and it's going to be a huge change when that happens. It's, it's so beautiful, and it's considered in the states, it's considered like, like a drug, as in the same level of cocaine or something like that. And it's insane, you know, to be now in these times and still trying to control people's minds. Yes, yes, I, I want to say everyone, uh, wake up. Wake up. Because the life is, wow, my God. The human and the planet is both reactions and sentence. What happened to you happened to the planet. Ayahuasca. It's a medicine that is helping so many people, but so many people to awaken, to change their lives, to connect with their hearts, to heal their childhood and their lives. That is the hardest thing, and it's the crucial aspect, no? that letting go, that surrender. The more you surrender, more deeper levels and more blissful and easy it becomes. I want, I want people to, to look at, at me and say, oh, if he can do that, I can do that, you know? Oh, he's doing this and I, I want to do that. You know, I feel that it's good. So I want to be like an example for people to push them to do the same, to go out of the box, actually. To do and look for yourself what is real, what is true. I want people to remember this way. Right now we're at the top of Bell Rock. Um, Bell Rock is about 600 feet from the base to the top. There are several areas that you can go at the top, go a little higher for better views. And I have this attraction to Bell Rock that I don't know, so I start researching Bell Rock. And Bell Rock has the um, symbolism reputation of being an interdimensional portal. There was some precedent because 
during the Hamana Convergence in 1987. For thousands, this date is so important that the future of the Earth depends on it. A guy was selling tickets uh, to ride on the spaceship that was coming out of the center of Bell Rock, so it did have that reputation also. There's connections with me and, and the word Bell um, in weirdest ways. So I figured, okay, there's certain times when portals open. Top of Bell Rock would be the place, December 21st, 2012. And, and it's interesting how a Jewish attorney from New York City, criminal defense attorney, happened to wind up in Sedona, Arizona, sitting on the top of Bell Rock on the winter solstice 2012, waiting for a portal to open. <laughs> Well, let me ask you something. Does that, can you tell the difference between truth and lies? Is it also a lie detector? No. In other words, it won't go up, so this way you can say, nope, sorry, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a little switch that says You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we want. Okay. My name is Peter Gersten. Um, um, I'm 71 years of age. Presently, I am in Magic Land at Red Rock Crossing in Sedona, Arizona. I'm an attorney. I'm licensed to practice in New York State and Arizona. Retired, though. I passed the bar in 1971, New York State Bar. Uh, I joined the Brooklyn DA's office uh, in November of 71, I believe. And I was uh, a prosecutor for four and a half years, and then I went to private practice until 1993. And then in 1993, I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. And during the day, I practiced criminal law. I was a criminal defense attorney, and most of my clients were accused of uh, homicides, murders, double mur murders, triple murders. But at night, I um, practiced a hobby of mine, which was suing the government for UFO information under the Freedom of Information Act. Attorney Peter Gersten has led the fight to unearth these documents on behalf of a group called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. I don't think I've ever had an encounter with a UFO. I think this, um, our, what our reality is, is a, a simulation, holographic uh, reality, intelligently designed. It's above three-dimensional, it's above artificial, virtual, it's like a higher level. So we're programmed, before we even come down in here, to have certain likes and abilities and interests and appearance and so forth and so on. I guess, um, I picked a program that had to do with an interest in UFOs because since I was about, I was born in 42, five years before Kenneth Arnold's sighting. Nine disc-like objects, roughly 45 miles away, flying at a speed of approximately 1,500 miles per hour near Mount Rainier, Oregon. The date? June 24, 1947. 1947, I was about five years of age. And I guess within the next five years, by the time I was 10, I was reading all the books on UFOs, every single book, and whether it was an occupant, contact book, uh, sighting report, I would read the books. I wasn't interested in science fiction, just UFO information. When I became an attorney, my fascination with UFOs had continued since I was a kid, and I decided to write the various UFO groups and ask that they needed any help in any way, particularly funding. Out of the five groups I wrote to, one contacted me and stated that they wanted documents under the Freedom of Information Act. And the Freedom of Information Act was um, a law 
recently passed at that time, in 1977 this was, by Congress that allowed the public to obtain certain documents. Bottom line is in 1977 on their behalf, I filed a lawsuit against the Central Intelligence Agency for any and all documents that they had. And two years later, in 1979, they released over 900 pages of documents concerning a subject matter that they said, number one, they weren't even studying, and number two, didn't affect national security. In 1975, I had a, f a accordion file like about let's see, about six inches thick with all kinds of strange paranormal activity from 1975, like a window open between worlds, realms, creatures came in, strange objects came in, cattle mutilations, contacts, you name it. It was like heavy duty 1975. I've never seen another year like that. And it's interesting because if you think that, oh, that's crazy, but there are so many things that are unexplained, right? Strange phenomena in the sky, UFOs, that's too generic a term. You have to break them down to the individual phenomena. You know, uh, crop circles are still unexplained. Probably around 1980, 81, Ground Saucer Watch, the original group, did not want to continue with any more lawsuits. They believed after reading the documents released by the CIA that uh, everything that people were seeing either uh, had a natural explanation or were government craft. So they didn't want to go on. My focus just shifted. I don't know, as far as lawsuits are concerned, no. Nobody else has brought a lawsuit since 2000. Nobody else ever brought a lawsuit before 2000. So I was the only one that ever did it. How much should the public be told about our government's investigations of UFOs? It's true that some information pertains to national defense and should be classified. But what about other information? In 1993, after I went on a vision quest, it was 10 days in the Southwest from New York City. In other words, two days in Durango, Colorado, six days in the Canyonlands in Utah, and then two days back in Durango, Colorado. During the time, it's like a ceremonial rite of passage. You say goodbye to your old life and you welcome your new. You do ceremonies and sweat lodges. And, and it's usually people going through some kind of emotional crisis or some kind of midlife crisis, or, and they want to just start over again. So when you're in the Canyonlands, for, uh, besides the ceremonies you do, you d spend four days fasting. Three of those days alone, and I mean alone, you're not even allowed to bring labels on your clothing to read. Um, nothing to read, nothing to listen to. You're supposed to stay by yourself for those three days and just be with yourself in a beautiful place all alone. And the last night, of the third uh, alone, you're supposed to stay up all night praying for a vision. And that vision you then take back to your community. My vision basically was to move to the Southwest, but Utah and Colorado were a little too cold, so I moved to Arizona. I drove down with my friend. The day I left, somebody said, you gotta go to Sedona, Arizona. And I said, Sedona, Arizona? Never heard of the place. Gotta go. I drove down 179 from 17, 179, and I came into it. First thing you see is a little red, then you see courthouse, and then you see Bell Rock. And I said, I'm home. This, this 
majesty in front of us, majestic stone. That must be one of the highest frequencies. It's different than the other uh, red rocks in the area, such as Castle and, and Courthouse. It's deeper. It has a unique shape. It's a spiral shape when you look from the top down. Um, but depending on which direction you look at, it looks differently. You, if you look at the south side, it looks like a bell. And I guess that's where it got its name. Now, it could be symbolic because that's how the simulation communicates, whatever the intelligence is, through symbols. A doorway, a portal, a gateway. I figure that there's a portal going to be opening. Why not? on the top of Bell Rock, and I said, in 2012, I'm gonna be 70 years of old, and maybe it's time to go out on top, without tubes, without a walker, you know, can't do anything, can't hike, time to go out. Leap of faith. Now, my story, I wanted to manifest the ending to this story. The ending of the story, the portal opens. Leap of faith, risk your life, greater the reward. That theme was in the back of my mind as far as a leap of faith. Now, like any video game, you access certain portals, you can skip levels and go to certain other places. And that's what I look at as a metaphor. And like in a hologram, the entire hologram is contained in each of the parts. So I should be able to access any part of the hologram from the top of Bell Rock. The center of the galaxy, if there is such a thing, it's probably within us. Everything's within us. At the center of the galaxy, according to the Mayan, that's where the source is, the source of the simulation, where life began. So I needed to go to the center of the galaxy. I needed to go to the source. It just made perfect story, okay? This whole thing, and I didn't create any of this. The only thing I did take on faith was a leap of faith because there's certain messages in movies that I believe are just that. Certain people, movie directors, actors, seem to be in certain movies and get certain information channeled to them that they then spread out in a movie or a TV show, TV show called The Martian Chronicles. And that had to do with this religious leader, Reverend going to Mars and believing that uh, there was another intelligence on Mars that was, that was invisible. You are aware, aren't you? So, in order to prove his point, he decided to jump off uh, a ledge after he saw certain orbs over him. Just took that leap of faith. And it's interesting, because if you look at the show, he jumps off a red rock. And right before he hits the, the uh, ground, these orbs encircle him. And basically, he took a leap of faith. Instead of a cross, a blue sphere will represent the Martian Christ. We will live with you and we will help you to discover God. So if, if you risk your life, that's the only way you can actually get the highest results. So, yeah, I expected the ending of my story to manifest. The portal would open. 
I would access that portal some way, leading to the center of the galaxy, where I would find the mimetic virus that's affecting and corrupting our simulation in order to neutralize it and restore the natural balance to the simulation. It's one thing to take a leap of faith if I see something. And my daughter, you know, wanted to know, it was like, like what? Like what can you see that would cause you to take a leap of faith in that manner? And I said, well, let's assume like in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. A spaceship comes over. So I gave her that example. She said, okay, anything else? I said, well, what happens if a hole opens in like a window between realms or something like that? I'm going to go in. She says, okay, but make sure two other people see it. All right? So in other words, I wasn't going to leave her with the ridicule. The grief, she's going to have to deal with herself. But I'm not going to leave her with the ridicule of me jumping off the rock like some idiot. I would have to see something. At least she can rely on because if I see something and do it, then what I've been telling her all along is true. And part of what I tell her is this, this, is, just, this is just temporary. We see each other in other ones. This was all over the Internet. You know, they were doing chat rooms about this and everybody was getting alarmed and they were following my countdown journal and things like that. Counting down the day from at least five years ago, you know, I would write blogs and stuff like that. Then I realized the more attention I was bringing, the less likely I was going to be able to stay on the top of Bell Rock. So I stopped talking about it because everybody was concentrating on me jumping off the rock that's all they cared about they didn't care about why i might want to do a leap of faith they didn't care about any virus or simulation or intelligent design or holographic reality all they cared about is is he's jumping off the rock and most of them i push their buttons because oh let them jump one less lawyer is is is, is good you know that idiot if he thinks he's, he's gonna go splat portal blah 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 so i even though they had no idea who I was, right? They were just reading words on a computer screen, and it was amazing that they, they were, their buttons were pushed. You know, and it was saying, wow, it's just, you know, how people react. So I was a mirror for all these people, the show. And once in a while you would get, hey, listen, he has a right to do whatever he wants. You know what I mean? And I applaud his courage, you know? But no one really believed the portal was going to open. Everybody believed that I was coming back down. I had assured them that I wasn't jumping unless something happened. So basically they believed that. Cops believed it. My family believed it. I had planned to create videos for everybody. This is, um, I'm Peter Gersten. Um... I'm one of the stars of the holographic reality program, The House on Rainbow Lane in Magicland. But I didn't. My daughter sent me an email saying this is how she feels. She believes I'm going to be here afterwards, but just in case. And it was a very, very um, emotional email from her. The problem why I wanted to access the portal was because, like a computer program, like a human body, Simulation is subject to being attacked by, quote-unquote, a virus. My son, he just, my son denies everything. The only thing he um, threatened at one time is to commit Quote-unquote, a parasite, a worm. And that's what's happening in the simulation. It's being corrupted by a mimetic virus. My landlord wanted to know what she should do with all my things. They'll rock things and all my furniture. What should I do? I said, listen, I will take care of that, you know? I will have it safeguarded if I'm not here. We are within a, a biosimulation, carbon-based life forms, which uh, is being corrupted by a virus similar to a computer virus, similar to 
uh, a biovirus, but on a different level. It's a metaphor for what attacks um, holographic reality. I don't think there's anything reincarnation future everything happens in the present moment at the same time there's probably a million variations of just what we're doing now or unlimited that's how the computer can do it can create every single possibility the tuesday before the friday two deputy sheriffs came to the door and they they were watching my my movements and they were reading what i was writing and they were reading Facebook and they were getting calls from people who were concerned I was going to jump off the rock. And I said, sure, no, I'm not jumping off the rock. I said, matter of fact, I'll show you what I'm going to do. I'll take you up there. And then they called me up like a day before, two days before, and they said, we want to go to the top of Bell Rock with you. So I said, oh, are they setting me up? Or they just want to like meet me? So I met them. Guy was in full dress, weapon, everything. And I took him to the Upper Bell Rock. And I showed him, this is where I'm going to be tomorrow, and uh, this is what I'm going to do, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to be up here about 10 o'clock, stay up here at least to midnight, unless something happens sooner. His helicopter was flying around. My, my nephew said, I want to take some pictures of the helicopter. The guy called the helicopter to fly over us. It was like, if there was any waste of gas, it was that day. Realizing that it is December 21st, 2012, uh, a day and a time that I've been waiting for for quite a long time, at least since I would assume 98, probably since the time I was born. It was my destiny to be up here on this particular day. It was, it was like a calmness. I thought I wouldn't even be able to sleep the night before. So we went up there, and it was a beautiful day, probably in the 50s, no wind, no problem staying up there during the day. Got up there by 10, 11, 11 in the morning, I was on top of the mound. That helicopter was like over there, right over there, watching me just to make sure. There's about 20 people already up there doing all kinds of, some doing ceremonies, hanging. And uh, there were people at the bottom of the rock in chairs waiting for me to jump. You know, and it was just crazy. So the helicopter left uh, around, I guess around two in the afternoon, and we stayed up there, and then it got dark, and it got cold, but we were prepared. You know, we wanted to make sure we were going to be warm enough, and there was no wind, but it was cold, but it wasn't uncomfortable. So we just waited up there. I was just up here, just looking around, just seeing anything unusual, looking for anything. And just uh, some of the people went to sleep. They just went to sleep. Uh, at midnight, three of us went down, including my friend. She said she felt different when she got to the bottom. You know, for the next two days, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, I guess, for a while. I guess to the 23rd, I was like in a different state. Two days later, the headline in the Red Rock News, Vortex Jumper cost the city $838. They wanted a lot more money. They wanted to crucify me. So that's the headline. They labeled me the Vortex Jumper. So in other words, the UFO lawyer now went through a portal and became the Vortex Jumper. Before December 21st, 
I used to live week to week. I knew where I had to be on December 21st so I could plan there and then watch the universe fill in the details. And it filled in the details that I fit into my story. Well, it is a story. My story, your story, who has the best stories? Who has the more interesting stories? So the leap of faith is still one of the elements. It's not what I originally thought it was. Um, maybe a leap of faith is just playing the part and going along with it and, and letting it unfold naturally without resistance, wherever it takes me. Though I don't know exactly what it involves, I still think it's still part of whatever this game is that I'm in, whatever this show is that I'm in. Now I'm here, I'm 70, now 71, and I'm doing more now than I did when I was 52. As a matter of fact, I'm glad I'm not getting younger because I couldn't do what I am doing now. And sometimes I take, go bell rock twice. All I know is that I look around and I see where I am and who I'm with and what the energy is. And this looks pretty good to me. In other words, this is something I would have programmed for myself. You know, this is the end that I would want, the ending of my life. Well, yeah, my last thoughts are that, um, so I believe I'm part of this holographic reality program. I really do. Um, I believe that it's one of the top rated shows in the galaxy and it's being observed. And that's why I'm still getting these people and events going on. Uh, and people seem to be still interested in it. And it's like magic land. When you're in your bliss, the universe conspires to support you. And it does. You've been listening to Everything is Stories, a podcast brought to you by Oscilloscope Laboratories. This episode was produced by Garrett Crow, Mike Martinez, and Tyler Ray. Music in this episode was provided by Kaidon, Locrian, and William Cody Watson. You can check out their music by heading over to our site, everythingisstories.com. We've got them all linked out. While you're at the site, you can also find links to our social accounts, our newsletter, and photos for this episode, which were taken by our friend Ben Grimmy. You can find Everything is Stories wherever you listen to podcasts. Like, subscribe, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. And remember, nothing comes from nothing, and everything is stories. Whatever else Graham Greene does, he always tells you a story. Not his own introspective Singing and grousing and chewing your liver. Uh-uh, let's get on with the story. Keep me up tonight with this story you're telling me. I want to turn the page. All I ever wanted to be and all I think of myself as being is a storyteller. That's all. I just tell stories.